Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you once again by our good friends at MyBookie, guys. We are very excited to let you know that MyBookie is doing us another solid. They have decided to extend our relationship with their company, and that means you guys still have an opportunity. If you missed out in the month of September, you still have the opportunity to use our promo code exclusive to listeners of the Glory UGA podcast. All you need to do is go to mybookie.ag, use the promo code UGA to double your very first deposit. It's not too late, guys. We're not even at the midway point of the season yet. There's plenty of time left for you to make some money, so help yourself out and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. As you guys know, I am your host, Tyler, and I've got my co-host, Charlie, here with me to answer, I don't know, Charlie, I guess I would say a heated set of mailbag questions today, and, and Charlie, I think as you were putting these together, you probably noticed what I noticed. There seemed to be, a, um, I would say, an aggressive vibe to the questions this week. Uh, I think understandably so after what we all watched last Saturday night. But I want to ask you, Charlie, where is your head out right now with this team after what we saw on Saturday? Well, I'm glad we won. But I'm it's not too concerned. Like, I'm confident in the coaching staff's ability. I'm confident in the players, especially the leaders of the team, to make sure that everyone's doing their part, that people who are slacking start to get get it together. It's our culture, right? Right. I, I think it'll all be fine. I'm not too concerned about it. But you got to remember there are also some players that are hurt. You know, Jalen Carter was hurt to begin with. And, and now has a and, knee. And now his knee is injured. I will, do you think that guy should be suspended for that yes. play? Because if you get suspended for targeting plays, that's a blatant cheap shot. A blatant cheap shot. If we got to start spinning people for things like that. If we're going to suspend for targeting, that's got to be a suspension too. Yeah, I agree. Um, Lab McConkie's still not healthy. We still have A.D. Mitchell. Mitchell out. Um, and I know Injuries Aaron, at linebacker. Yeah, Aaron Murray was tweeting during the game, like, is something wrong with Stetson? Is he not feeling well? He seems to be pushing everything instead of just letting it rip. Word so, is his shoulders give him a little bit of an issue, but nothing to keep him out. Right. So you're right, Charlie. There are there's some injuries. Um, and, you know, Columbia is not... Is it fair to say it's not the most hostile environment that we go to? Is that fair to say? No. It's not, but it's still an SEC night game. And it's a team 
that is playing against the number one team in the country in their place at night. And we're like we have to understand we're we're not I don't want to say we're not at Bama's level because we obviously won the national championship last year, but we haven't done it over a sustained period of time like Bama has. But we're gonna start getting that Bama treatment. When you win the national title, you're the number one team in the country, and you recruit the, at the level we recruit at, and you're seen as this national power. You played the national championship game two times last five years. Teams are going to start looking at us that way, right? We, we kind of entered this new stratosphere, and we're going to get their best shot like Bama does each and every week. Well, and here's the thing. You have 11 guys on offense, 11 guys on defense, being rotated in and out. You've got to get everybody to be playing their best on the same day, at the same time, on the same play. And week after week. Correct. And, and these you, are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids are going, for the most part. Exactly. There are going, well, even if they weren't 18, 19, 20 years old. Nobody has the same output every day. You don't have the same emotional bandwidth exactly. every day in every game. You, you can't. It's it's unsustainable. But I think that the team, the coaches, everyone is doing the best that they can. And I think that did we play our best on Saturday? Absolutely not. No. But we are never as good as we are on our best day, and we are never as bad as we are on our worst you day. You love that saying. I do, because you do. you're somewhere in between. You can't constantly... So you're saying we're not as good as we were against Oregon, maybe. Correct. Or as good as everyone thought we were, but we're also not this team that everyone's like, oh my God, Mark George out of the national title race Absolutely. after Saturday. You yeah. cannot go be at a 300% every single game. It's just not possible. Can you ever be at 300% Charlie? Is that even possible? Yeah, you can. Sometimes. You know? Really? Oregon. Was that 300% or just 100%? I think it was above 100%. Can you be above 100%? Because 100's 100. Okay. Well, semantics. You're, semantics. you're not the one to talk about math. Let's just okay. say that. Uh, cheap shot. Okay, first off, talk you're about not, cheap shots. You're not great at Uncalled math. Uncalled for. I, I readily admit that. It's not my thing, but okay, you but went there. you get what I'm saying. I do get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. That's a, that's a great analysis, Charlie. I like where your head is here. Um, I think I'm getting there, Charlie. I think some of our questions are going to ask us about that, and I think I'm closer to where you are right now than I was certainly during the game but Charlie we do have a lot of questions to get to today as we always do and uh let's uh let's jump right in let's not waste any more time all right well before we get started I do want to say yes we are so grateful for my bookie yes. continuing their partnership with us Fantastic people. so if you have not created an account please do so because that allows us to continue bringing you podcasts and content yes um, each it week. keeps Charlie here. So if you like Charlie, which I mean, I don't know, but not if you, many people do. You won't be the first person. She is the star. You are, you are the star of the podcast, Charlie. Well, uh, you're what people, you're, you're the main event. You're what people come there here for. Not people, me. Certainly not me. There are some people that really want me to shut up right now. And I don't blame you. I feel like that about myself but you, too. You did, so speaking of my book, no, no. But speaking of my bookie, you, so obviously to do our picks of the week, you had to create an account of your own. Yes. And how long did that process take you? Not long at all. Like and if 30 I seconds? Can, if I can figure it out. I will say this, guys. Anyone can figure it out. I told Charlie to do that. I said, hey, you know, get on here. You need to have your own account so that, you know, you can make these picks and bet along with me. And Charlie didn't even ask me how to do it. I did not need a walkthrough. And, and, and to you, that might not seem like that big of a deal, guys. But knowing Charlie as long as I've known Charlie, uh, I said, Charlie, I, I, this is not me trying to insult you. You're not the most tech savvy person is that fair to say oh absolutely like you're not, not into the new technology i think if you had your way you might not even have a cell phone but if you did it'd be like the old nokia phone I from like the early up, 2000s i just updated my phone and i still can't find things oh you're the new ios yeah i don't like it yeah surprise i surprise. I, I, I i'm surprised you but even yeah knew. my bookie i'm surprised you even knew how to update it please go on create an account start betting you don't have to bet a lot but it makes it more interesting especially with games that maybe aren't 
as interesting as you would think they would be. If you yeah. have a bet on them, it'll make it And guys, Charlie was texting me all day. She was so proud of herself about the Army Navy under. She's been waiting. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the Air Force Navy under. She's been waiting all year for a chance to bet on a service academy game because she loves the unders in those games. And, I mean, I don't know, 20 times you texted me updates throughout the game. Like, yes, Charlie, like, it looks like it's going to go under. I think you've you've got it here. So, yeah, it, it's just fun. It just adds a little more fun to games that maybe you wouldn't otherwise pay much attention to. And you know what? You could actually win some money. Because you guys who listen to this show, you know what you're talking about. You're the hardcore fans. You know college football, and you can use that to your advantage. But, all right, Charlie, where, where are we starting today? All right, well, as you alluded to, there's a strong sense of worry and concern in this week's question. So, we're going to start there with the big picture question. It comes from Wit. He wants to know if you're panicking. We kind of went into this a little bit. Mm -hmm. He says he had to watch the game on his phone Saturday and he hasn't been able to do a deep dive. But he's worried Kent State might have exposed some weakness on the defense. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I totally get where you're coming from. Anyone who is like Wit, who is panicking right now or is borderline panicking very close to it, I understand where you're coming from because I was that guy in the stadium Saturday night for O'Field. That that was me because I was losing my mind. I was seriously sitting there like thinking, okay, how can we find our way back in the playoffs? What do we have to do? Like what is our our path to the playoffs after this? Like who has to lose? How are we gonna sneak in? I, I thought it was done. I thought that game was done. I'm sitting like, oh my God, even if we win this game, like are we even that good? Like was it just a mirage what we saw those first couple of weeks against Oregon and South Carolina? Is this really who we are? So I get where you're coming from with that. But I've had a couple days to sleep on it and reflect on it and go back and watch the game a couple times now. And through these past couple days, I have to admit, I'm not near as worried as I was when I was trying to go to sleep Saturday night. Going to sleep Saturday night, like I was like, oh my God, yeah, we won this game. Great, a win's a win, I guess. Survive in advance. But man, we have problems. We got, you know, in a month, we got Tennessee coming up. And that team offensively is a juggernaut. And like, I don't know, man. Like this, there, I mean, We saw what... Mississippi State did a Texas A&M. Like, we got to go into that environment, and that's that's going to be a tough environment. It's going to be a tough place to play against a good Mississippi State team. So I was concerned. I, I get it. But the more I go back and look at things, the more I reflect, the more the numbers I look at, the more I watch the tape, the I don't want to say I feel better about the performance, but I'm not as worried about that one performance. And let me give you a couple reasons why, guys. I'm going to go into this a little bit. Go a little bit. Charlie, do I have your permission to go a little bit longer with this one? You may proceed. I just have a couple numbers. I think, because I want to put people at ease here, Charlie. I'm, I'm not here to tell people what to think, but I want to give you maybe an alternate way to look at this and some other things to consider that might help put you at ease, maybe a little bit here. But uh, if you look at Bill Connolly's numbers, Bill Connolly does a fantastic job with advanced stats. He used to be with SB Nation. Now he's the ESPN. It's a fantastic job, putting out great numbers. And uh, he had he released, I think it was this earlier today, this morning when I saw it. But if you look at our win expectancy, our post-game win expectancy in that Missouri game, it was 88.9%, almost 90% post-game win expectancy. Now, some of you might not be super familiar with what that advanced statistic is, but in a nutshell, it's basically like how often you would expect a team to win a given game based on how well they actually played in that game. And here's, I'm going to pull it up for you. Yeah, here's his actual definition. So, According to Bill Connell, the actual definition that he uses for post-game win expectancy is given success rates, big plays, field position, you could have expected this team to win this game blank number of times. So you would expect us to win that game 90% of the time. Now, Charlie, when you were sitting there watching that game on Saturday, like I was, like most of our listeners out there, did you get the feeling that we would have won that game 90% of the time? The yeah. Way, the, really? Well, 
No. When I was caught up in the emotions of that game, I'm sitting there like, oh, I, I, I do. I'm invested. I take things to heart. I'm, I'm sitting here like, oh, my God, we could not possibly play that much worse. But going back and look. I will say I thought that we would get it together. I was like, hoping Like, during the first half, the beginning of the third quarter. It would have been nice if we got the ball back, if we got the ball you After always love that, yeah. You love that, yeah. Um, Which I, I do especially too. Especially in that, it game, does give you a little sense of we were down of digits. hope coming out of I mean, halftime, yeah. Um, you know, in the first half, I was like, nope, halftime speech. We're gonna turn it around. It's fine. As it started to get into like ten minutes left in the third mm-hmm. quarter, and we were moving the ball slowly, mm-hmm. and I was watching the clock. Down, down That's 10. That's when it started to be like. In the, in the fourth. Early in the fourth, down 10 points. Oh, we really need a touchdown, not a field goal. Yeah. Um, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I, I was like that through most of the first half. I, I think I'm actually pretty similar to you in that regard, Charlie. We got in the third quarter. I was like, this, like, we're still not scoring touchdowns. Like, this, like, we're running out of time. And as time was starting to run out, that's when I started to panic a little bit. But, I mean, yeah, our post-game win expectancy was 90%. To give you a little bit of perspective here, Oklahoma State, I don't know if you guys watched this game on Saturday. I watched it at the bar at Harpo's uh, before the game. Oklahoma State beat Baylor by 11 points on the road. But they only had a 45% post-game win expectancy. So, yes, we had some issues. And we know we did not play our best game. But according to Bill Connolly's post-game win expectancy, which is, I, I believe, a pretty strong advanced stat, that game was, I mean, it's hard to say it was never in doubt because we did not take our first lead until four minutes to go in the game. But we were in control of that game in every other metric, really, outside of the scoreboard, which, granted, is the only place that ultimately matters when it's all said and done. But outside of that, we were kind of controlling that game. And here's another stat for you. Missouri only had a 28.3% success rate. And so I was just talking to my dad, actually, before we recorded this. I got off the phone with him and, you know, love my dad. But he was, you know, and he, he's like... I think me on steroids when it comes to like concern and worry like the Munson because he grew up more on Larry Munson even I did I was young he was a he was a grown dude but you know he was like oh man Georgia's defense like our defense like what's going on like, I, I, we're just not very good on defense and I was like ah I mean I don't I, I don't know if you gave us some big plays I don't know if I truly agree with that you know but don't want to hurt the old man's feelings but if you look at the numbers only a 28.3% success rate, guys. And, and it, it, here's another stat. I know we've mentioned this before, but we have a lot of new listeners. So for those of you who might not be familiar with success rate, what that is is it measures how successful an offensive play is. They define success by do you gain 50% of the available yards or the yards needed for a first down on first down? Do you gain 75% of them on second down? And do you, on third down, do you basically get a first down? And that's how they define success rate. Missouri only had a, a success rate of 283 Guys, that was actually, according to success rate, which is only one metric, granted, but based on success rate, that was our best defensive performance of the season. We held South Carolina to a 31.3% success rate. We held Oregon to a 45.6% success rate, even though we only gave up three points in the game. Held Kent State to a 48.1% success rate. Sanford, I'm going to throw that out because it's an FCS team that should have been on the same field as us. But against our FBS opponents, this was our best success rate performance by our defense all season long. Now, you would expect that because, again, we did not take our first lead of the game until the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, four minutes to go. But defensively, outside of a couple big plays, we played well defensively, according to those numbers. We actually hit more explosive plays than Missouri did, which, honestly, I didn't feel like we did watching that game sitting there because like in the, in the moment 
with how emotional you are, how invested you are in it. We actually had 15.2% of our plays were explosive plays compared to Missouri's 11.3%. We sustained drives better than they did. We averaged 6.6 plays per drive to Missouri's 4.8 plays per drive. We Now, we had our issues in the red zone, as Curtis and I documented in, in detail on the recap episode, our initial reaction episode, but we didn't talk much about how well we did holding Missouri to field goals in the red zone. We held them to a 16.7% red zone success rate. I also think, at least statistically, you can make the argument that we ran the ball better than they did. Now, I know it was not pretty through the first three quarters. Like, was it 66 yards combined through the first three quarters? 107 in the uh, in the fourth quarter. But we had a higher percentage of, of rushes for five or more yards than they did. 41.2% of our run plays, guys, were for five or more yards. I know that doesn't really jive with what you think you saw out there in, in the narrative around our offensive line right now, but th- that's what the numbers say. So what I'm saying with all these numbers, guys, is this game, the reason it was so close is it really just came down to turnovers, a lack of success converting red zone opportunities into touchdowns, which is a problem. We've got to fix that. Um, An all-time kicking performance by Harrison Mevis. I mean, that guy responded like a champ to that disaster against Auburn the week before and just giving up like random big plays and that's what kept this game close is outside of that like we dominated this game but the scoreboard didn't really show that I mean think about this guys if if even half of those red zone field goals that we had to settle for were touchdowns and you take out the three points that we gave them with great field position off that fumbled handoff that's 11 points right there and we win what 37 22 still not a a dominant or I guess we would have won what 34 19 still not a dominant performance but probably we also aren't having the same conversation right now people probably aren't panicking to the degree that they are right now and this just goes to show you that football is a game of inches. It really is. So I'm not sitting here saying that I'm not concerned. There are some concerns as Curtis and I outlined on our instant reaction episode, but the more I sit here and think about it, the more numbers I look at, the more I rewatch the game and just reflect on this, I'm certainly not panicking and I'm not altogether like crazily concerned. I think these are all things that are fixable and that we've seen this team do. Now we do need to start doing them more consistently, like scoring the red zone, which we did at a 92% clip, scoring touchdowns in the red zone against South Carolina and Oregon. But we've seen that we can do it. We've got to start doing it more consistently, but we've seen it. We've got evidence. We've just got to find ways to, to make it happen on a more consistent basis. Okay, well, our next question is from Jessica. And it's along the same line as Witt's question, but it's asking you to get a little more specific. If you can do that. Oh, I can always get more specific, okay. Charlie. She wants to know, what are you most concerned about they have to get it fixed because Jessica says she is not built for this anymore. <laughs> I, you know, Charlie, that's funny she says that because I know that you were complaining a couple weeks ago that you're like, oh my God, all of our games are so boring now. We just kill everybody. Yet we had this game where we're like, oh my God, we might lose. So now that we've gone through that game, which game do you prefer more? The blowouts or a close game like that we win, but a close game that makes you sweat it out? Give me the blowout, Charlie. Give me the blowout. I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to feel like, like it's nice to feel alive. I don't need to feel that alive. You know, that, that, that was a little bit much for me at times where I thought we were going to lose that game. But all right, Jessica, great question, Jessica. Appreciate you listening here. So what am I most concerned about? Now, I know we have a ton of questions about the offensive line. Is that right, Charlie? Yes. Yeah, we have a lot of questions about the offensive line. So we will get to that a little bit more in detail, but I'll just say here right now with this question, I am not as concerned about the run game and the offensive line coming out of this game as others are. Now, again, I'm not unconcerned. There are some areas that we need to improve there, but the more I watch it, the more numbers I look at, I, I don't 
I don't think we were as bad on the offensive. I think there's more context to it than like my initial reaction sitting there in the in the game in that stadium. But I am more concerned about wide receiver play. Okay, because what did we see on Saturday? What led everyone to think that our offensive line was trash and garbage? We need to bench everybody. Well, they were blitzing us aggressively, not even just blitzing. I mean, they aggressively stunting, slanting. They were trying to create havoc. That was the goal. Now, what did they do behind that for the most part? They were very aggressive, bringing those pressures, five and six man pressures consistently, and they were largely playing man coverage behind it. Most of the time it was man free with a single high safety. Sometimes you saw like two under, occasionally they went with zero coverage. They didn't do that very often at all. They didn't really set the all out zero blitz too often, but a couple times they did. And the reason that they kept doing it all game long is because we could not force them out of it. That was the problem. And the reason we could not force them out of it is that we were not winning consistently enough against man coverage on the perimeter. Our receivers were not creating enough separation against man coverage on the back end. It's that simple, guys. And here's some numbers to back this up. We only had a 25% success rate with passes against man coverage compared to a 52.6% success rate with passes against zone coverage. What does that tell me? I'll go back to what I just said. That tells me that we do not have guys creating consistent separation against man coverage. Now, what we do have is a coordinator who can scheme you open versus zone, an experienced quarterback who will find you if he has enough time, but we're not seeing game-changing wide receiver play right now. Obviously, a big part of that is A.D. Mitchell, our top receiver coming to the year, has been out since the Sanford game, the first play of the Sanford game. So we need to get him back in a bad way. Lad McConkie, who's the guy that I absolutely have seen win consistently against man coverage, is injured right now, guys. He is not the same version of Lab McConkie that we saw last year and we saw against Oregon. He's gritting it out right now. He's hardly practicing. So he's not out there able to do some of the things that he's able to do in other games. And I also think Lad, honestly, I know he can play outside and we use him there. I think Lad is a better weapon in the slot, to be quite honest with you. He's a guy that's that shifty, quick guy in the slot. You get a matchup on star defenders and he can get, be open all day long as man coverage. We out there on the outside and you're throwing, you know, jump balls, 50-50 balls, things like that. That's tougher for him. That's, I mean, he has got great ball skills, but he's a smaller guy. That's just reality. And using the screen game, using him out of the slot, I think that's where Ladd is most effective. But right now, especially with AD out, we're not really able to use Ladd the way that I think he is most effectively used because we're having to compensate for the loss of A.D. Mitchell. That's certainly part of it there. But, you know, guys like Marcus Rosemey Jackson, good receiver. Really glad we have him. Complimentary piece, as we mentioned on the on the recap episode. Same thing with Dom Blaylock. We have a question about him. Love Dom. But is Dom a guy that's going to consistently beat you with explosiveness? No, he's not. He's a great route runner. He's got fantastic hands. Uh, Arian Smith is a guy that I think if he can get back, and he's back. He obviously played some against Missouri. But if he can get back to where he's comfortable out there and he starts to develop a little bit more because he's just missed so much practice time. I think he can be that guy because that he's got that 10-1, 10-200 meter speed, which is flat out elite. And that's something that nobody else on our team has. And he can just win with speed on the outside. We don't have other guys that can really do that consistently. So that is honestly my biggest concern. Because if you look back to the success we had offensively against Oregon and South Carolina in weeks one and three, we did a fantastic job early in the season of scheming guys open in those first couple games. But now the tape is out. Teams can plan for what we were trying to do from a schematic standpoint better now than they could in the preseason because they hadn't seen what we were going to try to do offensively. Because we obviously know, guys, we came out and do things very differently than what we'd been doing the past couple seasons. So now it's 
harder for us to scheme those guys open because teams know how we're trying to go about doing that. What's tougher for a defensive coordinator to plan for is elite wide receiver play where you have guys that can just flat out win consistently in man coverage and create that separation. And right now with AD out, we are not seeing that on a consistent basis. Brock can do that for sure. And even if Brock is covered, Brock is just such a beast and go out there and make the catches. I think Darnell can too. But we're also having to use those guys in the run, in the run game a little bit and not a little bit, more than a little bit. We need guys at receiver that can work alongside them and also win in one-on-one matchups because that is what is going to force defenses out of this aggressive style of play where they're trying to attack us, they're shooting gaps, they're bringing five and six-man pressure, trying to create havoc and take us out of what we want to do. That is how you force them out of it. Until we are able to do that, we're going to see a lot of the same game plan. That blueprint is out and we're going to have to force teams out of that. And how do you do that? You need to get open and win against man coverage. And right now, through the past couple of weeks, we aren't doing that at as high of a rate as I believe that we need to. All right. Well, for our next question, Darren is worried about the approach we've taken to the last two games. He says, we haven't had any aggression since the South Carolina game. He wants to know, how does Kirby get us hunting again? He says, we've been hunted the last two weeks. Are we simply overconfident and too full of ourselves. Do you think there's something to that, Charlie? Like, we've been reading our press clippings and and the ego gets pumped up. The rat poison. Do you believe in that? Um... Like, I would like to not believe in that, but again, these are young people. I mean, young social people. media, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. It's certainly more difficult to control. And people calling Georgia, like, monsters of death and just destroying right, like, people. Right, like, oh, yeah. wow, they really are reloading. Handing the national title. How is this possible? We didn't think this was possible, but they are just, like, I think it's human nature. To, it, it's, it's almost natural to to hear that. And and, there, and you can say, well, say on social media, that guy's, that's not going to happen. No. That's just not going to happen. Not, not with, not with young people these days. It's just not going to happen. So of course they see it. And even if the, you know, coaches can do whatever they can to try to counteract that, I do believe it has some sort of effect on the players, their psyche and how they, how they approach it. I mean, look, Kirby is in our staff are very demanding regardless. But when you got there on game day and you're playing a Missouri team that lost on the road to Auburn, you're playing Kent State, you're playing Sanford. It's like you said earlier, Charlie, it's just, it's, impossible to have the same level of intensity. That's why, and Kirby knows that's why he preaches playing to a standard and not the opponent. You just go out there every single week and you're playing to your standard. But even that, it's easier said than done when you're considering the type, the, the age group of players that we are working with here. So I, I think it's certainly possible that we are reading the press clippings a little too much and it's kind of gotten to us and we, and we need to be humble. I think there's certainly probably something to that. I will say this though. I think this win really more than anything was about culture. This is a culture win for us. Kirby called it in, the, in his postgame press conference, he called it a, a program win. And I think what he was trying to say was like, we won this game because of how our program has been built and the culture that I've established and the players have bought into and the players are kind of taking upon themselves to, to, to really continue on year after year. And I think in, in this game, our culture would not let us quit and just roll over in this game. Most teams, guys, in that kind of setting, with that kind of adversity, would roll over and die. Our team did not. We had too much pride in that G on the helmet, too much love for their brothers out there. And I think that's a testament to, to Kirby and his staff, number one, but also the players themselves for buying into that and believing in that. And I, I think that's a powerful thing, guys. I think it's a powerful tool. So yes, I, I think it's, I guess, Darren, I, I see it two different ways here. I think you're probably right that 
there's something to us allowing ourselves to be hunted the past couple of weeks. You know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, we're getting the Bama treatment. We're bringing everyone's best shot. That that's that's us being hunted, right? And Kirby's always saying like, we need to be the hunters. Don't allow yourself to be hunted. And I think you're probably right in saying the past couple of weeks we've allowed ourselves to be hunted. We need to go back on the prowl. We need to go out there and start hunting again on our own. And if we do that, we don't have to rely on our culture to pull us back in a tight game like this. So I think everything you're saying there is fair, Darren. I, I certainly see where you're coming from. But uh, I also have to just say I do love our culture. I think that's really what allowed us to win this game on Saturday. Okay, our next question comes from Mike. He wants to know if it's time to readjust expectations for this Georgia team. Um, and he wants to know your prediction for the win of Georgia's win-loss record after the performance at Mizzou. Are you changing things, Charlie? You uh, you said twelve zero in the preseason, right? I did. Are you backing off that now? No, I don't think I am either. Like, I'm not saying that we cannot lose, but we have to remember we're going to get every opponent's very best. Yes, okay? that's the Bama. That's the Bama treatment. And all of the other teams are not going. They also cannot do three hundred percent. Every given weekend. But we get their 300%. But we are going yes. to get their 300% every Saturday. And when you don't have your A game, that's a recipe for things being closer than they should be, like we saw on Saturday against Missouri. But I, I, again, Mike, I, all these questions, Charlie, they're all fair questions. I get where everybody's coming from. And I understand why you might say, well, hey, like, do we need to like, readjust expectations? I'm not. I still think that we are better than every team on our schedule, but that, that doesn't mean that we're going to win every game. The better team does not always win every single game. We see that every week where there are upsets. But I also can't sit here and predict, oh yeah, we're going to lose to Auburn. Oh yeah, we're going to lose to Vanderbilt or Florida. Tennessee, I think, is the toughest team on our schedule. I told you guys that back in like in, in March or April. I told you that a long time ago that I thought that was going to be the toughest game on the schedule, or at least the, the best team that we're going to play. I was very excited that game was at home this year. Playing that game in the stadium this year might be a little bit of a different story. But I, I think we are better than every team on our schedule, and we should not lose any game. It doesn't mean that we won't, but I, I base my predictions on what I think is going to happen, and I usually base it off who I think the better teams are. So I look at the rest of our games on the schedule, the rest of the way, Charlie. I still think we're the better team every single week, and until I start to think otherwise, I'm not going to readjust those expectations. Now, that doesn't mean that it would shock me if we lost to Tennessee or we lost to Mississippi State. I mean, I told you guys, those are those are tricky spots. Even Kentucky at the end of the season. They're not as good as uh, I think a lot of people thought they were going to be coming into the year. Still a good quality team. And, and we're gonna get, as you said, Charlie, going to get their best shot. It's going to be a tough environment. It could be a night game. We'll see. But, I mean, I still think we're better than all those teams. So 12-0 is still my prediction. Wouldn't like completely flabbergast me if we lost the game, but I'm sticking with 12-0. And Charlie, I know we've got a ton more to get today, but let's go ahead and take a quick break here and let's talk about our friends at Alumni Hall. Charlie, it was a beautiful, beautiful fall weather in Columbia, Missouri over I know. the weekend. I need to go and get a sweatshirt. It, it's or coming, a long Charlie. Sleeve shirt. High of 74 on Saturday. Mm, it's gonna be I beautiful. Do. Like we get like we get like snippets of fall weather. We don't get the full-on fall weather like we used to, but it's coming. It's coming. I do believe I need a few long sleeve shirts or sweatshirts. I got me, I got me a Q-zip last week. And I definitely can probably... I know. I wish they made women's quarter zips. That weren't skin tight? Yes. I know. Because the men's clothing line that you see, Johnny O, Peter um, Millar, all Peter that Millar, stuff, yeah. all Even of that Nike stuff golf. is... Yes, so much, even so much better than the women's Nike Golf. You can find the classic fit. I can find Nike Golf, Alumni Hall. I can find nice tank tops there, but like 
you guys are so lucky at Alumni Hall that you can find all of those Anything brands everything you want. at one place. Yeah. Now, the women, I am not your typical going into Alumni Hall. Yeah, they make hall. it for the masses. You're not right. the masses. Right, I am not. So, most of you girls, ladies, men, if you want to buy your wife, your girlfriend something, your mom, your daughters, they have a great selection. It's just not usually my style. I prefer... The modesty is strong A nice Charlie. athletic look of a t-shirt because <laughs> it's comfortable. Yes. Which they have those too. I, you know what I need? I need... They have a 2 for 25 t-shirt rack. No, I need a t-shirt for tennis. I need a, a Georgia new, I need a new Georgia tennis shirt. I, I'm fairly confident alumni holds that you so you I need stop to go, in, Charlie. This week, I will be going. I need to go and get that, and I need to get some long sleeve stuff. Cause they, they have a new tennis cooler. skirt I saw, actually, when I was there last time, too. You might want to check that out. So, anything you want, guys. Male, female, kid, adult. It doesn't matter. They've got you covered. Make sure to check out Alumni Hall in the Epps Bridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, well, outside of the general how worried are you questions, the other most popular topic this week was the play of the offensive line, which makes sense when you consider uh, Georgia could only manage to grind out a sad, pathetic 66 66, yards through three quarters. 66 yards through the first three quarters. That's a tough look. It's a tough look. That's a horrible statistic. Um, So we have several offensive line questions to run through next, and Jay Rakes is first. He says, have the coaches been weary of the O-line all year? We've been playing out on the perimeter a lot, even when the offensive line looks unstoppable. It seems like in short yardage, whenever we need something, we're not running behind the line. We're on the outer edge behind Washington and Bowers. Yes, that's a great observation, Jay Rake. You're exactly right. We are. We have been attacking, especially, I mean, week one, the first couple of weeks, we were attacking the perimeter, whether it's a screen game, jet sweep, truck sweep, all those kind of things. We were attacking the perimeter consistently. And to me, the reason you see that, I don't know if it's so much a lack of confidence in the offensive line. It's tough for me to say that without being in the meeting rooms and at practice. I guess you can try to read between the lines, but that's not how I read it. 
to me, it's more of about, about a matchup thing. And we've talked all year about how dominant Darnell Washington is a, as a blocker. Curtis and I were talking about it on the recap episode. And Brock Bowers is not quite as dominant as Darnell is, but he has become a much better blocker than he was last year. He was a willing blocker last year, but now he's gotten better at it. He's strong, physical, all those things. So you have these two dudes at tight end that you can put out there and flex out on the perimeter. And when they are out there in the perimeter, who are they matched up with? They're largely going to be matched up with DBs occasionally, depending on what coverage they're in and what defense they're in. It might be a linebacker, but usually it's going to be defensive backs. And Washington and Bowers on DBs blocking them on the perimeter, that is a mismatch. It's totally a matchup thing. We just like our matchup with, with Darnell and Brock on the perimeter against those guys than we do our offensive line against defensive linemen who are, are of comparable size, which... I think I understand that. I think it's more of a matchup thing. Now, saying that, I don't want to completely absolve the offensive line of some of the issues that we have seen the past couple of weeks. I, As I've said several times over the past couple of weeks, I will reiterate it here. We do need to be more consistent in getting the second level. I am of the opinion, though, that the problem isn't so much moving people as it is guys, at least the past two weeks. It's teams just shooting gaps and us getting outnumbered in the box. And I, as I said on the recap episode, I think condensed sets, those bunch sets have a lot to do with that because the box is loaded up with people. It's really, really packed in tight there. And that makes it tough for us to get through the traffic, get up to the second level and, and know who to block. There's confusion there. It's like, well, do I block this guy or that guy at the second level? And guys are running free because all the times where we have, not all the times, but far too often when we have plays, running plays that are stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage, or for like a, a half yard, one yard gain, it's typically a free runner, somebody who did not get blocked. Sometimes that's because they've outnumbered us in the box. There's nothing you can do about that. At least nothing the offensive line can do because you don't have enough guys. They just have they outnumber you. There's a guy that's running free with no one to account for him. And sometimes it is, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily outnumbered and we're just like getting stuck in traffic and we don't get up to the guy that we're supposed to get to or we're confused on what's going on, whether they're stunting, whether there's just a lot of traffic in there. I do think that it would help us if we do some of what we were more of what we did in the fourth quarter, we were trying to run the football for more spread looks, two by two looks, things like that, where you clean out the box, you clear it out, and you you make it easier for the offensive line to operate and for them to understand who their assignment is, like who they need to block, and you just don't have that congestion there. You force defenses to, to spread out, and you can take those numbers outside the box. I always start to look at some of those things. That's an adjustment I would certainly make there, but I really don't believe the problem is moving people. We're bigger and stronger on the interior of the offensive line than we were last year. We can move people when we need to. We just have trouble when we're outnumbered and we don't know who to block. I think that's the bigger problem here. But in terms of, of Washington Bowers, that's a matchup thing. We I think we just like that matchup. Well, sticking with the offensive line theme, big dog for life. Big dog for life. You had trouble life. with that. I did. Big dog I for life. I wasn't reading it all one time. That's one phrase, uh, one name. He gets right to the point um, by asking, with as much talent and size we have up front, why are we getting bullied and pushed around? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a fair question. After what we saw Saturday, Charlie, you're right. It's a really bad statistic, 66 yards through the first three quarters. I get where you're coming from there. And we saw too many plays get stopped at or behind line of scrimmage. I understand. I think they had, what, like nine tackles for loss in that game, like something like that. But I don't think like I just said in the last question, I don't think we are getting bullied up front. I don't think that's the right word. 
I think the issue is that we are slower on the interior than we were last year. And sometimes we're just, again, not even blocking guys on gap scheme plays, which is kind of what we went to in the second half. There was the adjustment that we made. And we've had some issues getting our, our, especially our counter play, the gap scheme plays going the first couple of weeks. And that's why we were kind of, especially in the first half, our scheme, you can see, was running zone plays. So we've been blocking those better, more consistently, consistently because you can get movement on those guys. But when Missouri and Kent State are shooting gaps as aggressively as they are with like reckless abandon, trying to just create negative plays and havoc plays, it's harder for our interior guys especially to handle that because they just simply don't have the foot speed and athleticism that we have at the tackle position, especially you talk about Amarius Mims getting in there at times and obviously Broderick Jones on the left side there. And I think teams have seen that and that has become the blueprint. And that's why we went to the gap scheme because it's not as effective. In fact, shooting gaps like that against gap scheme plays can oftentimes be counterproductive. You can take yourself right out of the play. So I think that's more of the issue than it is just like a physical bullying by the opposing demons of lines. That's not really what I'm seeing. Like when we want to win, like when when we know who to block and they're not shooting gaps on us and we can get our head across them and get and get our hands on them, we move guys. We're just having trouble consistently doing that because teams are just being hyper aggressive against us right now. Okay, well, next up, Guy is looking for someone to blame for the offensive line issues and he thinks he has his man um, he says that he's sure others have already mentioned it, but Stacy Searles. 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 Weird name, Searles. I know you always say It's all right. Guy says he has to go. He also says this looks like the worst offensive line since Kirby's arrived. Is anyone else worried that Kirby isn't freaking out as much as he would expect him to be on the sidelines? It's almost like Kirby knows the line is bad. I, I, I don't, and you can read it that way. I, I'm not going to say you're wrong because I don't know, but that's not how I read it. I think Kirby's mature in the sideline. I mean, Kirby will, will chew you out for sure. Like he's been known to do that. We've seen that, but that's more of a practice thing. The past couple of years, Kirby doesn't like lose his mind on his players as much as the young version of Kirby did. Now you see it occasionally on personal fouls, things like that, where he's like, that's unacceptable. Like there's just stupid things. Like he lost his mind when Lad, it wasn't a personal foul. Like when you make, Poor decisions like Ladd against Kent State, not choosing to fair catch that ball when he muffed the punt. He chewed Ladd out for that. But when Ladd drops a pass or he fumbles the ball, uh, he knows Ladd's out there working hard. He sh- those things happen in football, and he doesn't really chew you out for that. I mean, Kirby has he's mature, like he's calmed down the sideline. I think he understands that your team is like a reflection of their head coach, and I think he he's he's cognizant of that now, and he's trying to project a, a certain kind of calm and image, especially in a game like that, Charlie. Like in a game like that where you're down and you, you're you a coach and you preach composure and resiliency all the time, right? That's Those are two of our pillars as, as, as a program with our culture, composure and resiliency. You can't preach that on one hand and be losing your mind up and down the sidelines, right? Doesn't that send like mis- mixed messages? Yes. It absolutely does. So I think he's trying to embody the things that he's preaching to his players. He knows in those kind of games, on the road, hostile environment, things aren't going well. The players are going to look at the head coach and see how is this guy handling And they see you calm, composed, then they're more likely to kind of feed into that as opposed to see you losing your mind, going crazy. They're going to start to panic. So I think to me, that's how I read it. I'm not saying I'm right, but that's kind of how I read that situation with him not freaking out as much as you expect on the sidelines. I don't think it has anything to do with him knowing the offensive line is bad because personally, I don't think the offensive line is bad. I know it looked bad. On Saturday, I know it didn't look great against Kent State either, but again, we are, teams have tape on us now, okay? Teams have tape. Saturday was bad, 
but we hadn't seen the defense attack us quite like that before. And I, I will say we adjusted based off what they were doing. Now it took us to the second half to do that, but we did adjust and it was certainly much smoother from that point on. Like we were running the ball, I don't want to say at will, but close to it in the fourth quarter. Now I would like to have seen that earlier in the game, but that's because we had made those adjustments. And I want to see how the rest of the season plays out. I'm, I'm just not ready to go there yet. I'm not ready to go there and say that Stacey Searles has to go, or even that our offensive line is the worst offensive line since Kirby's arrived. Now, maybe it turns out that both those things are true by the end of the year. I'm just not ready to go there yet. Because if you look at the numbers for the first, what, four weeks of the season, we had only given up two sacks. Two sacks in the first four games. Now, we gave up two sacks on Saturday, doubled that number. But first four weeks, we were playing pretty well, at least in terms of pass pro. We had given up, I think, what, seven tackles for loss through four games? Well, on Saturday, it was nine, all right? So, yes, Saturday was a bad performance. But again, a lot, to me, my opinion is that a lot of that had to do with how we were being attacked by that defense in a way that we had not seen before. We were not able to force them out of it and make them pay on the perimeter. And therefore, they kept doing it essentially all game long. And finally, we adjusted and kind of used that against them. We were able to gash them in the fourth quarter on the ground. But uh, I, I just don't, I don't think that this offensive line is bad. I really don't. I know that that kind of goes counter to what some of us saw. And even what I was seeing, I was pissed off, guys. I'm with you. I understand where you're coming from. I was pissed off in that stadium on Saturday night. I was very frustrated. I had a lot of the same thoughts. But as I go back and rewatch the tape and I look at this a little bit more and, and, and just take a deeper dive into it, I don't feel like the offensive line is bad. Now, can we get better? Certainly. Do we make some adjustments on who is playing? I think we certainly look very strongly at that. But I still don't think the offensive line is bad right now. All right, well, and to wrap up the offensive line conversation, all CFB wants to know, do we need to stop rotating so many offensive linemen during the game? says it feels like it's affecting development. Now, I do agree with this. Offensive line, I've always felt like, I I don't like rotating that much in general. I get why teams do it, why we do it. You know, we have a lot of players, we recruited at such a high level, and now with the transfer portal, you want to keep these guys around. How do you keep them around? Well, you give them playing time, right? That's kind of what we're doing with the Marius Mims at, at right tackle. So I understand why that's happening, but I've always been a fan of having your best players on the field as much as possible. Now, the guys need to get a breather here and there. Of course they do, obviously. But, uh, you know, Curtis, I talked about this with the receiver rotation in the preseason. I've always felt like we needed to shorten up that receiver rotation because we need to have our better players on the field on a more consistent basis. And I think the same thing I would say is true of the offensive line here. We need to find five guys. We need to find five guys and roll with it. Now, you can bring a guy in for a series here and there. I guess that's fine, but... We don't need to be splitting snaps like 60-40, which is kind of what we're doing at certain positions, at right tackle, um, at, at the guard positions as well. I think we need to find five guys, roll with them. Here's what I would also say, though. I think we need to really examine who those best five are. I am not convinced that the five that we are rolling with right now are necessarily the best five. I'm not convinced. Now, I don't get to see practice. The coaches know far more than I do. They have more information to work off of. They know more about football than I do. You guys who have been listening to this show for a long time know that I'm more hesitant than I think a lot of people are who cover Georgia football to criticize the coaches because I know how hard these guys work. I know how smart they are. I know how much they know compared to what I know. And I feel like I know a fair amount about football, but it's not as much as they do. And I know that they have more information to operate off of than I do. They are out there at practice and meeting rooms every single day. They do this for a living. So I'm usually hesitant to criticize them more so than I think other people are. And I get killed for that sometimes. And I'm just like an apologist for the coaches. And that's not it. I just know that they know more than I do. And I don't know if I'm exactly qualified to be questioning them all the time. But there are certain areas where I do feel like maybe it's fair to question coaches. And I think personnel decisions, that's one of the areas that I'm more likely to to be critical. Because we've seen some of these guys out there, guys. And I, I might not see practice every single day. But I feel like we have some guys 
that could maybe give us a little bit more in the offensive line. Tate Ratledge, I think, when healthy, is probably a really good player. But right now, I'm just not. I don't think Tate Ratledge is fully healthy. I really don't. I just don't. And, and Truss at, at at left guard has. I think he's been better than maybe Curtis once was giving him credit for, but he hasn't been dynamic either. I think we need to take a look and see what Devin Willett can give us. I think he's, his numbers are pretty good, guys. If you look at some of our success rate with him in the game, I think Amarius Mims needs to get more playing time at right tackle. I know that that's tough with Warren McClendon, who's a leader on the team, a quiet leader, but a leader, been around for a long time, played a lot of snaps for us. But that guy just has trouble bucking anybody coming from the second or third level. Cannot get his hands on him half the time. Amarius Mims just gives us more athleticism. And you have team shooting gaps like that against us, we need more athleticism. That's how you respond to that. So I, I would like to see more more of Mims, but I don't know. Again, I'm not up there every single day. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know like what assignments Mims is blowing in practice. Same thing with Willick. I do not know, but I, I'm just not convinced the five we have right now are the best five. I'll at least say that. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, well, moving away from the offensive line talk, Eric wants to give some love to Dominic Blaylock. He asked, Will Dominic Blaylock be treated like the starting caliber wide receiver that he is? Especially with the in the absence of Ad Mitchell. Yeah, it's a fair question, Eric. I I I gave Dom a shout out on the recap episode. He got an honorable mention game ball for me. You can make an argument for him to get an actual game ball, but he played really well. I mean, a really critical third down catch for us in the first half to set up a field goal, set up our, our first score of the game. Actually, and it was a hell of a catch. I mean, Dom has just incredible hands. He is not a burner. He's not the most athletic guy out there. He's a really crisp route runner when he's healthy, and he seems to be fairly healthy right now, and he's just got dynamic hands. I know that's not a phrase you normally hear, dynamic hands, but I use that phrase. Like, if you have hands like that, you have dynamic hands. That dude just catches balls when they are put in his vicinity. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy drop a ball. I mean, I watched him a lot in high school, too, when he played back at Walton. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy drop a ball. I'm not saying he hadn't. I'm just saying I hadn't seen it. So he is a very, very good player. Is he a starting caliber wide receiver? I, I think I think that's actually not crazy to say. I think that actually might be a fair statement to make. Uh, I just get a question like, where does he play the slot potentially? I, I mean, honestly, I think I like Dom at in the slot more than like Kieris. And I love Kieris. Kieris is a fantastic player, a great leader for us as well. I think Dom does the little things that wide receivers need to be able to do to get open better than Kieris. Kieris is faster than Dom in a straight line. That's true, he is. And he's got good hands, but he doesn't have Dom hands. And he doesn't run routes like Dom does. I think Dom, he's talking about like winning in man coverage, Dom doesn't win with speed. A guy like Arian Smith does. He wins with precision, but that's still a way to win. You win against man coverage. And so I, I do think that Dom needs to see more time, more opportunity, especially in that slot position for sure. Okay, well, 
I've made it clear how much I love Darnell Washington. That's your boy. So I love this next question. James wants to know, why do we refuse to throw to Darnell in the red zone? Inexplicable. I, I, if sheer, you throw the ball in stupidity. his general vicinity, he's going to reach up and grab it. He is. If you throw the ball in his general vicinity, he is going to devour the football, Charlie. Like That's the only way I can describe what he did. Like, those two catches he made, the one where he got lit, well, I thought he got lit up. He actually lit the defender up, and the defender tried to light him up. And there's one where there's like, it was a good throw by Stetson. Like, when Stetson threw it, I was like, oh my God, Stetson, what are you doing? That ball's going to get picked off. And it's like, oh, no, well, it's Darnell. Darnell's just going to devour the football. And that's exactly what Darnell did. And he goes and he leaps, he hurls another guy. I don't understand it, Charlie. It's inexplicable. I love Todd Munkin. You know I wax put about Todd Munkin all the time. But again, I, got, I don't like to criticize coaches, but this is one of those things that even a novice like myself can say, hey, this guy's really big. The area in the end zone or in the red zone is really condensed. So what do we need to do? I don't know. Throw it to the biggest guy that just devours footballs. Because you know what? They can't double everybody. Brock is going to get a lot of attention in the red zone. When AD Mitchell is back, he's going to get a lot of attention in the red zone. Our running backs get a lot of attention in the red zone. They can't double everybody. They simply can't. And, and right now, Darnell is probably the guy that they're going to leave open more often than not, at least in, in single coverage. At the very least, all you have to do, if, if you see Darnell Washington in man coverage, just throw the ball up. Put it where only he can get it because there's no defender out there. If you put the ball up where a guy at 6'8 can go get it, there's no DB out there that's going to be able to go up and get it. Either he catches it or no one does. And you know what? Like I said, Darnell devours footballs. I have a sneaking feeling Darnell's going to be able to devour a football even if it's in the end zone. So I'm with you, man. I've been on this since last year. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I love Todd Mungum, but this makes no sense to me. He is the most underutilized red zone weapon in all of America right now. And when we are having as many issues scoring touchdowns in the red zone as we are currently having, which is keeping games closer than they need to be, we need to try something new. And, oh, I don't know, like, could that new thing be throwing the ball to Darnell Washington? Just saying. Just saying. All right. Well, Kenny McIntosh was in the top five in the SEC in receiving through the first couple of weeks of the season, but his numbers have since dropped. Um, Carter asks, why did we only throw to Kenny twice, and was it the defensive scheme? Yeah, we threw to him twice, one reception for 10 yards one on a screen pass there. Defensive scheme, I mean, it was partly defensive scheme. Uh, I think it was a, a mistake schematically in play calling. Again, like. I love Todd Munkin. I, I think this was probably Todd Munkin's worst called game of the season. That's all relative because Todd Munkin's done a fantastic job. But when teams are being as aggressive as they are against us, as, as Missouri was at least, and bringing five, six guys and shooting gaps as aggressively as they were, and we're having trouble winning against man coverage, well, what's one thing that you can do against that to kind of help your receivers out? Throw screens. And as many screens as we've run throughout the first part of this season, I found it baffling why we were not doing more of that in the first half. In the second half, we went to more gap scheme runs, and we started throwing more screens. And lo and behold, what did we do, Charlie? We start to move the football. We score a couple touchdowns. I was a little frustrated that it took as long for us to make those adjustments as it did. Obviously, we went into halftime. We met as an offensive staff, had some conversations, and decided this is what we're going to do. And I'm glad we made those adjustments, but I would like to see those adjustments be made in-game more before the before halftime when we're not down 10 points going to the half. And I think those are things that were almost like pretty obvious to me. I'm sitting there in, in the second quarter saying, this is what we need to do. And again, I'm not Todd Munkin. He knows a lot more about football than I do. But even I'm sitting there saying, these are things that we need to do. And you have to believe that Todd Munkin knows that too. And I'm just, I'm not sure why we did not do more of that. So I think, honestly, it was just a function partly in the first half of just the game plan coming to the game. We did not expect Missouri to attack us the way they did. And we were a little bit late in adjusting to that. And then Stetson was just, you know, you would think, honestly, with as much pressure as they were getting, like, we would at least dump it off to the running backs and 
like in just like a, a check down, but we were also having to use the running backs in, in pass protection. We were having to keep them back in there more because a lot of times what happens is the running backs, some of Kenny Max catches, yes, we use them a lot in, in the screen game, but also some of those check downs, the running backs don't release on some of those check downs until they see that no one's coming. There's no pressure coming. So if we're sitting there with a four-man rush and there's not an, an extra defender being added to the pressure, then the running back can release and be the check down guy, be an outlet. But when they were bringing five and six guys routinely, it did not allow our running backs to be able to release out into pass routes because they had to stay in for pass pro and make sure Stetson did not get murdered. So I do think it was more a schematic thing and just maybe late adjustments than it was the fact that, you know, Kenny's just not part of our game plan anymore. Okay. Well, I'm not sure everyone saw it, but Jamon Dumas Johnson was seen giving Kamari Lasseter the business at one point during the game on the sideline. He was, yeah. You saw that. I did see that. So after seeing that, Eric wants to know, do you agree with Pop ripping Lasseter on the sideline, or was that poor leadership? What's your take on that, Charlie? Like the the public thrashing of a of a teammate when you're trying to be the leader out there. Like the public humiliation. What year is Pop again? Pop is a redshirt freshman. I guess Tenley a sophomore. I think he I don't I think he burned his redshirt last Lassiter. year. Same thing, came in the same year, same class. I mean, is I same I mean, same age. To me, where it gets it is when the younger guys are stepping on the older guys' toes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. So when you're, you know, equal experience, I think that's okay. I think there's different kinds of leadership. That would not be my type of leadership. But I, I'm typically more of a guy. But other people respond to different things. Hey, absolutely. I'm going to say so you're, last, right. you're right. He, Pop you might to, know. You have to know your audience. Hey, if I go and yell at Lasseter and rip him a new one, it might light a fire under his butt and get him going. Under his butt? Yep. I'm trying to be... Keep his family friendly? Yes. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Charlie. You're 100% right. Different people respond to different things. My style of leadership would be more along the lines, I'm going to handle this behind the scenes and talk to this guy man-to-man and not do it in public. I I think far too often if you do it publicly like that, it humiliates people and they're not going to be as likely to listen to what you're saying. They're going to be resentful of it. But maybe that's not Kamari Laster. Maybe that's how... Pop knows he needs to deal with him potentially, or maybe Pop's also a young le- guy trying to be a leader, and he's young, and maybe he's experimenting and, and realizing and, that might not be the best idea. Right, and and he's young. He's I I appreciate the fact that Pop is trying to take on that leadership role. I respect that and appreciate that, but that's just not necessarily my style of leadership. I'm not saying it can't work, but you, you, again, like you said, you're exactly right. You have to know your audience, and maybe that's what Kamari needed. I just my style of, of leadership would not be that. I like to handle things behind the scenes a little bit, or, or maybe not as outwardly obvious to everyone else to where the guy could feel humiliated and maybe breed some resentment inside the locker room. That's just me. Sometimes you can say the same thing in a very tight-lipped, low voice. Yes, you can. And it gets your point across Uh, as well. (laughs) And you're actually scaring me right now, Charlie. Did I do something wrong? I don't know. You did not. Okay, thank God. All right, are we ready for the last question? Last one, let's do it. All right, we always end things on a fun note, or we try to. We try to. So today's fun question of the day comes from Jeremy. He says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate the trip to Columbia, Yes, love it. And where does it rank on your SEC College Town Power Ranking? Oh, that's a no-brainer, number one. I think we've talked about that before. I know we have some newer listeners. It's number one. I'll say second after Athens. Well, no. In College Town. No, I'm talking about outside of Athens. Like, me, my ranking of College Towns, I go to outside of Athens. I live in Athens, Charlie. That would be the same thing as being number one. So, Athens is number one. Correct. SEC College Town's number two. Clear number two is Columbia, Missouri. Yes. 
Clear number two. Yes. 100%. It's the closest thing to Athens that we have in the ACC. And guys, yes, I've, I've been everywhere. I've not been to College Station because we've never played there. But what I've heard is College Station is not necessarily like that. But the places I've been, which again, just about everywhere in most of these places multiple times, by far, like, I hate to use this phrase. I think it's overused. But can I say it anyway, Charlie? It's really not even close. Is that? No. like It's not even close. It is by far the second best town in the SEC behind Athens. And that's why, Charlie, I'm I'm kind of depressed. Like, when I left Columbia on Sunday morning, I kind of waved goodbye. Because, you know, if we go to this nine-game schedule when Texas, Texas and Oklahoma enter the league in probably about 2024, um, they're not going to be in our pod, which is probably what we're going to do. We're not going to play them every other year in Missouri. No. And that sucks. It'll be every, I guess we'll play every fourth year. Once every four years, we'll play there. And that breaks my heart a little bit because I love Columbia, Missouri. And I know there's people that... There are Georgia fans out there like, you know, God, put them in the West. Like, we don't need to play them. No, no, no. We need to go to Columbia. It's an incredible town. It's, a, it's, it's so a much great fun. It's a town, but it is a long trip. It is a long trip. I did fly this time, which is new. I usually drive. Um, still a long trip, even flying. But it's so much worth it. It's so worth it, Charlie. It's it's like, guys, if you've never had a chance to go, next time we play there, whenever that might be, I hope it's in two years, but maybe not. But whenever we do, like, if you get a chance, I know it's a long trip. Trust me, it is so worth it. It is like restaurants, bars, the most beautiful campus. Like it rivals that. It rivals Athens, like in terms of the the campus, right? I mean, just the campus itself. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous campus. I mean, I love it, man. It's laid out really nice, cool vibe, cool kind of like midwestern hipsterish kind of vibe ish. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. What is the Midwest? It, no, I know the Midwest vibe. Is it, <laughs> is it kind of like a midwestern hip, hipsterish vibe? Um, cowgirl boots are in there. I think they're in everywhere, yeah. Charlie. But yeah, I love, I do love Columbia, Missouri. It's fantastic. I mean, Harpo's is the best bar in the SEC. It is. I mean, you hear people say that, trust me. It is. Uh, at least in like sports bars in the SEC. Uh, but on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a 10. Like, I didn't love the the sweating it out, but man, I, I had a heck of a time. I love it, and I cannot wait to get back. But uh, all right, Charlie, that it? That's all for today. That's all we got. But thank you guys for being here. We are certainly not done with our content for the week. I will have our Auburn preview up for you guys here in a couple of days. And then Charlie will be back to wrap things up with our picks of the week. Again, my bookie. Do not forget, guys, you have an extension. You have more time. I was going to remind them. Oh, go to mybookie.ag. Create an account and use the promo code. U-G-A, and you get a 100% bonus on your first deposit. It is that simple, guys. So do yourself a favor. We had a good week again. Charlie and I were back on the winning side of things this week, so we gave you some winners, and we're going to keep that going all season long. All you got to do is sign up for that account at MyBookie. But thanks for being here, guys. We appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>